Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Universe Within podcast. On this episode, I decided to put up an interview I did uh, probably when this is being released. It's probably been about three months ago now. Um, and it's an interview I did with my friend Mike from his podcast, Mike Adelic. It's the third time I've been on his show now. And uh, I, I thought this was a really good interview. Mike does a really good job of interviewing people. He's doing really good work over there. And uh, we got into some really interesting topics, things like uh, some of the pitfalls of this plant medicine work, um, some of the uh, places where we felt it had been out of alignment. We spoke about things like principle, a lot of the... Um, the events that are going on in our current world, and and I think it was a it was a really deep podcast where we touched on some really important points. So, I hope you all enjoy this. Um, he's uh, as I said, he's doing really good work over there. So, if you enjoy this interview, also consider checking out his work. Uh, again, it's Mike Adelic podcast. You can find it on all the big channels: YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I, I hope you do too. As always, if you are able to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me. Patreon is a really good option. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can sign up. There's different tiers you can sign up for. Those tiers give you different things back, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&A. So that's a really big help uh, to me to help me to continue to, to make these shows. To all of the people who have done that, to all the patrons, thank you very much for your support. Uh, it's always really appreciated. And if you're able to do that, thank you very much in advance. Um, there's also the ability to direct donate via PayPal and also with the YouTube channel. Now you can join the channel and that gives you a lot of the same perks as the Patreon page. If you're not able to do that, uh, as always, if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, hitting the subscribe button, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, uh, leaving comments in the comments section, sharing the video, uh, that's always a really big help to get the show out to a bigger audience. And if you're listening to this, uh, going on Apple Podcasts, leaving a starred rating and a short review, that's a really big help. Also with Spotify now, uh, they're allowing you to rate the shows as well. So if you're listening on Spotify, that's something you can do as well. So uh, I think that's it. Uh, without further ado, here is my conversation that I did with Mike. Yeah, but anyway, here we are. <laughs> it's good to see you, brother. Got a yeah, got the yeah. long hair and beard going. Yeah, yeah. I haven't cut it since uh, like June of 2020, I think. Wow, wow. Mm -hmm. And you're coming yeah. from Colorado. Yeah, I'm in Denver. Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah. Where are you? I'm back in the Sacred Valley. So I'm actually running a dieta right now. And uh, yeah, I was, where was I? I was back at the temple for two months in um, November, December. And then I was back in the States seeing my family for Christmas. And then, uh, and then, yeah, back here. And uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. Peru is still, 
crew's still going at it hardcore with the whole rules and regulations and all that. It's it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of been just out of principle boycotting any place that requires that, but uh, Peru's getting pretty strict. I mean, to, to go into any indoor place, you have to present proof of, of if you're over 40 now, three vaccinations. Wow. And uh, yeah, like even to, I had to go to the immigration office the other day to like do this like little form or something. And to go in, you have to show proof of three vaccinations. So I mean, basically, if you want to do anything here, if you want to be legal, if you want to participate in society, you got to be triple vaxxed. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's such a trip to to see this going on. Yeah. yeah and especially, especially in whatever community we want to call what we're a part of, the plant medicine community, the conscious community, the psychedelic and theogenic community. Uh, it's really interesting to me to see the, that there isn't really a, a unity among people in our, uh, among our crew or, you know, kind, so to speak, yeah. uh, that some, some people seem to, uh, really buy into the, the dominant narrative, which is just so interesting to me, uh, because I, I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, well, you know, a lot of people here in the States uh, have been fighting for uh, psychedelic rights right. uh, to change laws for decriminalization and stuff. Cognitive liberty. <laughs> Cog co yeah. Cognitive liberty, the war on drugs, right? The war on drugs. So aren't we in another like stage of the war on drugs where they're basically saying, if you want to participate, you have to take this one drug? That, yeah. that, that's that's kind of what was coming to mind and um yeah i was i was wondering like what what are your thoughts on on, on all this from sort of a consciousness cognitive liberty and like medicine uh approach or yeah, perspective I, I mean it's very interesting i i remember uh, a lady came down to the, the temple where where we were working together and she was giving out these stickers <clears throat> and on the sticker it had, I think, Iboga, Ayahuasca, maybe Peyote, Wachuma, something like that. And it said Cognitive Liberty. And the, the whole idea was that with with so many of these plants, there's been this, this, this prosecution, persecution, because people haven't had the freedom over their own autonomy of their own state of consciousness, their own state of mind. And I think this was an organization in, in Oakland, which has very much been in the forefront of, of a lot of that stuff. Um, and like you were saying, it's such a fascinating dichotomy because also a place like Oakland or San Francisco, California is at the forefront of <laughs> mandatory vaccination, forcing people to take a certain drug, um, not allowing people to have bodily autonomy. And I mean, it's a huge subject. I, I mean, I, I think we could talk about it from so many different angles. But for me, it, it was surprising on the one hand, how many people, as you said, however you want to call this, the, the psychedelic community, the plant medicine community, the spiritual community, but how many people really went along with it, hook, line, and sinker. And so on the one hand, it was surprising because 
I think so many people, I think it's so easy for people. This is why I think principle is so important is when you don't have principle, you're very easily swayed in the winds. So if you really believe in liberty, then you have to follow that all the way through. You can't just say cognitive liberty because that suits your own agenda. The idea is liberty. Now, certainly you can focus on cognitive liberty if that's being impeded or impended. You can say, hey, this is really important. Like the idea is liberty. And if we don't have cognitive liberty, then we don't have liberty. And But I think so many people, it's so easy to compartmentalize things. And, and so we say, yes, I believe in cognitive liberty because I've been being persecuted. I, I haven't been able to be free in that way. But when something else comes along, we jump on the, bag, on the bandwagon and we don't stand on the principle of liberty. And, but I think it wasn't super surprising to me because it, it's a mentality I've seen a lot in, in the plant medicine world. And it's a huge, I think it's a huge part of plant medicine, which is really going inside and finding that personal power, which I think a lot of people also have a bit of an, of an aversion to. And I think we can see that a lot in society where we like to blame other people. We like to blame systems. We like to blame other countries. And a huge part of plant work, I think, is reclaiming that that personal autonomy, that personal power. And, and that's very difficult. And I think very few people are really willing to do that because seemingly it's much easier to not do that, to, to always have someone else be at fault. And it's a super common archetype that we see with, with plant medicine is so many people come down, you know, I'm unhappy, I'm suffering because of my father, because of my mother, because of my partner, because of society, because I wasn't given X, Y, and Z or because this and this happened to me. And, and one of the major archetypes of plant medicine work is, is beginning to know thyself, to, to really see into that and see that it's a story. And, and sometimes that can be very triggering to people because it's not that things didn't happen to us. It, I mean, I, I worked with people who, I mean, if I were to tell their stories, people would be in shock of what people have been through. I mean, you know, a, a abuse a, a, of just almost like demonic proportions. And yet that doesn't mean that that person can't not be happy. It doesn't mean that that person can't be free. They can, but that it's a huge internal journey to be able to do that. And so with the pandemic, I think it's very hard again, when people don't stand on principle to be able to apply those same things widely. There was a, there was a beautiful samurai, his name was a Musashi. And he, he said something like, when you understand the way you see it broadly, you see it in all things. But if you don't understand the way, then you can't see it in, in, in all things. And everything begins to become compartmentalized. Well, I, I support this, but I don't support this. I believe in this and I don't believe in this, but there's not a, there's not a through line. And if you have principle, even when really difficult situations arise, you can stand on the principle. If I truly believe in liberty, then I have to believe in that for everyone. If I believe in free speech, I have to believe that for everybody. And it's often, I remember a lot in plant work. For me, the, the thing that I saw that was the biggest hindrance to, to people was fear. And, and I think for me, fear is kind of the primordial emotion that leads to all of our suffering. And I think even in an archetypal way, it's, 
it's a classic tale that's told in, in indigenous cultures and in traditions all around the world is this primordial split from, from the Garden of Eden, from God into duality. The, the, the snake, which often represents wisdom, it, it's tempting us with the knowledge of the, the, the fruit of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's this idea that from grace, we split into two, into man and woman, good and bad, right and wrong. And that's what that's literally what makes the world made manifest is duality. But from duality becomes separation. There's a me and there's everything else. There, there's there there's there's me that observes everything in the universe. And that's that's a literally what it what the world made manifest means is duality. There's two. But from that, there's this primordial fear, which is what happens if there's no me. And I think when people really begin to go deeply into plant medicine, that begins to come up is what does it mean when me begins to fall away, truly fall away? Like everything that I think is real, that's me, my name, my body, my, my form, my, my, my consciousness, uh, this earth, the, the universe, what is up and down and left and right. And when all that begins to fall away, I don't care who you are, you're going to go into a state of primordial fear because everything that we mm -hmm. think is, is real is beginning to become disintegrated. And from that fear, you know, I would say like all of the, what we would call negative emotions arise, things like anger and lust and jealousy and covetness and uh, all, all of the things that cause us to, to, to suffer, negative belief systems, but it's all coming from that primordial, primordial place of fear. And, and so with the pandemic, I really was able to see, because a lot of people often also say like they don't have fear or they've overcome their fear, but I don't think that's true. And, and plant medicine really shows that. Uh, it will take you to places that are very, very challenging, and 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 it mm -hmm. will take you to to a place that's going to push your 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 limits if you're willing to go there. And and really, with the pandemic, I think what we saw was this primordial fear. You know, people were afraid because there was something that was unknown, this unknown virus that that potentially could kill us and kill our loved ones, and and. And from that fear, it's, it's very easy to, again, lose principle. And even a lot of people who say they believe in liberty or cognitive liberty, once that fear comes in that I'm going to die or my family's going to die, I'm willing to set aside that principle and go along with someone or something, some system that promises to protect me, that promises to keep me safe. And a lot of people judge that that pact that that pact that they make to be more valuable. But the the fascinating thing is that nothing we do, no pact that we make that goes against the fundamental principle, will truly make us safe or happy or whole. It's only going to cause our, our eventual demise. And in Shipibo and the tradition we we both know quite well it's there's something very beautiful and it, it really it really hit me when i learned that their word for good which is hakun on a deeper sense it means truth so that which is true is that which is good something that's good means it's true and on a mm. deeper level it means that which is life-giving so it's the creative energy, that which supports life, that which gives life, 
ultimately is true, therefore it's good. That which divides, that which is is going against life is untrue, therefore it's not good. Mm. And that's where principle comes in, because principle is truth. Like if freedom is a birthright, it's something that we're striving for, then it's then it's true. And there's nothing that can come along that, that wavers that. And if it is, it means it's untrue. If it's going against that fundamental truth, then ultimately it means it's not true, which means it's bad. It means it's not life-giving. It's divisive. You know, and <laughs> I think the pandemic is a perfect example of what's divisive. I mean, parents locking their kids in a room, you know, keeping them masked. Uh, some lady kept her kid in a trunk because he, he he had the he had the virus. Uh, friends who won't see each other, family members who won't see each other. I mean, that's the that's the ultimate quality of divisiveness. It's dividing us. And anything that has that divisive quality is, is coming from a place of untruth. It's not life-giving. It's 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 continuing the the, the separation, which in in plant work is called the mediation, the, the dizziness. Like we're all under this dizziness. It's almost like this spell. Even in plant medicine work, the, this idea of like brujeria comes in. We're we're under this spell, this witchcraft, this belief system, which is literally controlling our minds. And in North America. In some of the indigenous traditions, they call it wetiko. It's the spell of the mind that keeps us in separation. And it feeds, you know, it feeds off of power and fear and anger and lust and control. And that's what feeds it. And the antidote to that is is truth, is is freedom. But mm. it's very difficult. And, and even a lot of people who've done this plant work, while, while they may have gone to a certain degree, I think as can be seen, there, there, there's still a lot. There's still a lot missing, and so, you know, th these plants also aren't aren't. They're not an inherent uh, remedy, or they're not an inherent panacea. And, and and I think a big part of that is because you can't remove the person. And I think a lot of us were under this illusion that kind of this pharmacological point of view, whereas if I take this pill or I take this medicine, it's going to make me whole. And I don't need to do anything else. I don't necessarily need to be a good person. I don't need to have principle. I don't need to follow my heart. I don't need to stand up for what's right. This thing is just going to make me whole. And it doesn't. Like you can't remove the person. You can't remove the volition. And uh, and and that has been something that's that, that's also surprising to me in a way is even doing this podcast. Like the the, the number of people who I've talked to who would be having these same conversations once the, once the camera is turned on or once the microphone comes on a completely different mask comes down. Mm. And I think a lot of that is that same fear. You know, I, I don't want people, I don't want to isolate people. I don't want people to not work with me. I don't want to be called a, a bad person, a anti this and anti this, but even that it's coming from that same place of fear. And, yeah. you know, it, it takes, it takes someone who's really willing to have courage to, to, that, that's the archetypal, um, the archetype of, of Jesus is, is believing in truth so much, being so righteous that, that I'm willing to die for humanity's sins. I'm willing to take that on. I'm willing to bear the cross. 
and you know, everybody loves Jesus, <laughs> but how many people are really wearing, willing to bear that cross? Very few. And, right. and it's not a knock on people. It's, it, it's much seemingly, it's much easier to not do that. Like we, it's easier in life. It's easier to, I, we're talking about even something like the vaccine, like, well, I'll just get the vaccine. It'll make life easier. I can go to the grocery store. I can, I can do this. I can do this. It, it's much harder to not do that. And that, yeah. So, but, but again, it comes back to principle. Do I truly believe in this? And if the answer is no, then, then we go along with the winds and then we, 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 we do what we need to do. But, but if we truly believe in truth and in liberty, then, then at some point we have to take a stand. And I think that's another thing is we often, we want other people to take a stand for us. Right. And, and if you look yeah. back through history at, at any, at any movement that was revolutionary or, or stood on truth or principle, it started in the hands of very few people and you know they were prosecuted they were persecuted but but eventually if the momentum became enough more and more people felt that that they kind of also had the right or that those people gave them strength to also be able to stand up and eventually it, it becomes it becomes almost easy to then take that position because it's the majority position um uh, I think it is Arthur Schopenheimer has this beautiful quote, which is uh, all truth passes through three stages. In the beginning, uh, it's laughed at, it's mocked. Uh, the second stage is it's violently opposed. And in the third stage, is it, it's accepted as if it was always true. Mm. And I think that's really powerful. Mm, yeah. Like if people really, really look deeply into that, so many things follow that that pattern. First, they're laughed at. Like, who is this person? You know, the the earth is round. Who who are these idiots who believe the earth? <laughs> we know better. You know, we're <laughs> the authorities. We we know what's true. You know, what what idiots? Like, let's let's laugh at them and mock them. Uh, but then, as the evidence starts to come in more and more and more then you have to violently oppose them. You have to demonize them. You have to call them racist, anti-establishment, transphobic, uh, you know, anti this religion, anti this, anti God, because you have to demonize them. That That's the way you, you fight is you, you other the, 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 the other person, you other them, you, you make them less. Yeah. Than. And to right. the point yeah, where maybe you, you even kill them, them. Yeah, yeah. you dehumanize yeah. them. And then eventually yep. truth does win out because it always wins out because it is true. And then uh, 10, 20, 100 years down the line, nobody remembers any of that. It's just, oh, yeah, that's true. We always knew that was true. That was never controversial. Of course, of course, the earth is round. Or of course, the sun emits light or, you know. <laughs> right. And we just yeah. we don't think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there is so much there. There's um there's a lot that I want to kind of jump on here. But one of the things that's that's coming to my mind is this what you said pretty early on when you started talking about the aversion that you've noticed from people to really go there, to really go deeply into the fear, which requires a a, a real like Christ-like surrendering. You know, not in like a religious institutional context, but the man himself, like you said, bearing the cross, right? Because it's a, a representative of saying, 
I, I am a free, sovereign, independent human being. There is nothing you can do to me because I stand in these principles. Anything that you're doing to me, you're doing, you're just doing to yourself. You're making it worse, right? So there's a sort of really deep understanding, I think, that you have to go into there, come around to, to some some way to fully surrender, fully, fully surrender. And I'm not quite sure if if most people, as you were mentioning, really know how to do that. So I'm I'm really interested to know a little bit more about how how is it possible that people can do deep plant medicine work. Uh, and get into you know deep practices of altered states and and go within, but still have that control to compartmentalize, to not fully allow themselves to to dismantle their their identities and to fully surrender into the fear, because that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like that the the egoic mind is still setting up borders and boundaries and compartments and rooms even as people are diving deep, which I find to be very fascinating because you were saying that, you know, we, we think that like, Hey, we're going to drink this brew. We're going to take this medicine. It's going to crack us open. It's going to open us up. It's going to change us. However, we can't get rid of the person. We're still there. So there's still a human navigating and controlling the, the aspect of that experience. If they, if they don't have the ability to totally surrender to the experience. Is is that is that something there? Like, is that yeah? What you're seeing? <clears throat> I think I think often it, it it really helps, especially with this kind of work, because it can be so ephemeral, ethereal. To use other examples, it, like this morning, but before before we started this interview, I was doing jujitsu, and and uh, I was I was rolling with this girl, and she she was she was saying like she was having panic attacks. Like if she got in a really bad position, she would have a panic attack. And I was like, yeah, that's super normal. Like if you're in a really uncomfortable position, that's normal. That's like a, a natural body response. And so how do you overcome that? Well, maybe you stay there for two seconds. Like you push yourself two seconds more and then you tap out. And then the next time it comes, you stay there for five seconds. And there's still going to be that same desire. After one second, you're going to want to tap out. But if you can stay two, you've just doubled that time. And then the next time you stay five seconds. And the next time you stay 10 seconds. And then 20 seconds. And then maybe you find like that panic attack, that energy begins to dissipate. And then like days, weeks, months down the line, you find you're able to escape that position. And then you get a dominant position. And then the other person is in that you know panic attack mode. And uh, so, like you were saying, with these plant medicines, they can also only take us as deep as we're ready to go. In that jujitsu analogy, if I was to like mount her and stay there for one minute, like she could be in real, real damage. Like she would start freaking out. And I've been in that position. You know, I, I know it very well. It's not, she's not worse than me. It's I've been there. That, that's the only reason I, I, I kind of have some idea of, of navigating that space. So these plants aren't in general, they're not going to take us to a place that's trying to do us harm. But hopefully they're going to take us to a place that begins to push our limits. At the same time, as we were saying, you, you can't remove the person. So do I really want to go there? And the answer for a lot of people is no. 
It's just a very clear no. Mm. And mm. that's okay. Like for a lot of people, they don't want to do jujitsu. That's okay. But if I, if I truly have that deep down desire in myself to know myself, to, to answer these questions about what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be whole? What does it mean to heal? What is it what does it mean to, to truly understand this human existence? You're going to get pushed. And, and that's where that courage comes along is, am I willing to go back in there? Am I willing to go back in? Am I willing to be in a place that's uncomfortable? And uh, that's a personal question that everyone has to answer. And, and sometimes it's a very slow process. That can definitely happen. Sometimes there can be these, these kind of revelational experiences where it just, it, it does take us to some place and it just shatters everything. But even then, uh, there's kind of this concept that I'm sure you've talked about this idea of, of integration. Once I have this experience, once I see something that's, that's maybe true or, or, or a deeper wisdom, am I able to integrate that? And that's a huge thing. And that's, again, like we were talking about principle. That's where principle comes in. Like, maybe I, I see that I'm creating my own suffering, or I see that the person I was blaming for my suffering, I've also done similar things. And that, that may sound like a simple thing, but that's a huge revelation. Like the person I'm judging, I mean, that's another very Christian principle. Like it's easy to see uh, the, the speck in my brother's eye, but not the log in my own. Like that's huge. If people can really integrate that, someone is free. You're, you're, you're actually free. That's your freedom. But we understand that on an intellectual level. We're like, oh yeah, I get that. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the really fascinating things I find about facilitating is is sometimes you'll I'll say something like that, and the person's like, yeah, yeah, I know that. <laughs> mm, yeah, I hear that a lot too. Yeah, it's like, well, They're like, oh yeah, yeah, no, I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like, yes, you know, on an intellectual level, but that's why in Greek they had two words for knowledge. There was to know something on an intellectual level, and there was gnosis. Mm-hmm, and that was to mm-hmm. truly know something, which means it's alive within us. And it's mm-hmm. a much different knowledge from knowing something from the place of the mind. Again, that's the Christian archetype of, of Jesus with his heart on fire. That's gnosis. That's the burning fire. Nothing can penetrate that. It, it's an embodied knowledge. So, you know, from that place, if someone says, you know, you're stupid because you're a white person, it doesn't phase. You're stupid because you're a black person. It doesn't phase because there's a deeper wisdom that knows that that's not true. It's divisive. So it's it's easy to 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 know these things, but to truly embody them is is very difficult. And for most people, it's going to be a gradual falling away. And so we begin to shed some of these layers. We begin to shed more. We begin to shed more. And for a lot of people at some point, they, they may be, okay, that's good. I'm good. Like, that's all I want to do. I'm at a place in my life and I'm happy. Maybe 10 years down the line, things change. Maybe on their deathbeds, things change. You know, I, I would sense that we all have to answer these questions at some point in our life. Uh, for some of us, it may be on our deathbed. Um, if we've ever been around yeah. someone who's dying, you can often see that. 
some people die at peace. It, it, they've they've answered these questions, and some people there's a real struggle. Um, so yeah, I guess to answer your question, it's. I think it goes back to that that idea that you can't separate the person, and we're all ready for different things. We all are looking for different things, and and I think that's where it's a little disingenuous when we say something like, you know, these plants are are going to make you enlightened or something. They're not. They have that potentiality, but it's the same in anything. It's like jujitsu, playing the piano. Can the piano make beautiful music? A hundred percent. Piano can make music that's divine, but you have to play it, and and that's not easy, and that takes a tremendous amount of dedication, of skill, of practice, and and really more than anything, a deep desire. Like I I want to find the divine through this piano, and if someone really does, they will. But how many people really find that? Very few. Mm. I mean, there's very few people who, when we listen to them play piano. We're, we're, we're moved in a way where time stops and yet it can happen, but, but it's a rare individual too, who's willing to go there. So, um, yeah. Does that kind of, kind yeah. of answer it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it, it brings up, uh, this conversation that I was having the other day with some people as we were serving Hape to each other, uh, and talking about our first experiences with, uh, Rape or Hape. Um, I remember my first, uh, what they were calling it, the people that I was speaking to was a shamanic dose, you know, because (laughs) you have your little individual caripes and then you have, you know, um, I I believe when Amika came to, uh, the temple, uh, that was my first very large dose in sort of a ceremonial setting. And, you know, we were, it's a, a pretty entertaining story to tell now, just as I was looking at like everybody ahead of me, just getting absolutely blasted by, <laughs> you know, this like foot long tepe and, and like a palm full of, of, uh, tobacco snuff, rape, uh, and the wheezing and the coughing and the breathing and the puking and the crying and the laying down on the back. So there's this element of like pain almost that comes, that comes with medicine. Not, not necessarily with medication, though. And there's two differences there. And I think that the the West, America specifically, is living in a, a medicated culture, not necessarily a medicine culture. We're a part of of more of that medicine culture, but there's still this this pain that that this temporary suffering or pain that comes along with it. And it's. I almost get a sense of a lot of people that go and travel to do, to have plant medicine experiences. It's almost like, um, I don't know. It's almost like saying like, oh, I I did that once and I survived, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. But yeah, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because, you know, tying that Mm -hmm. into the fear, how deep we're willing to go. And then, you know, the, the pain that comes along with, or the, the dis pleasure that comes along with real medicine. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you, if there's a common theme and a lot of you use this word like shamanic dose and a lot of these shamanic traditions, it's, it's this idea that the shamanic path is a path of suffering or also they use the word death. Like it's a path of dying and, and maybe dying many times. And it, 
I think to some that that would seem kind of like sadomasochistic, like why would I want to suffer? But it's not that the path is inherently suffering, it's that it's taking us into our own suffering. It's very much this Buddhist point of view that to be a human entails suffering. But as the Buddha said, there's a way out of suffering. But the way out of suffering is almost inevitably we have to go into the suffering. We have to realize where that suffering is coming from. And like anything, by going into it, we begin to understand it. We begin to develop that gnosis, that experiential knowledge of, of what's happening. And, uh, and, and yes, like you said, there, there's many people like with, with rape where it's like, you know, this little like, you know, and they, they, they feel a little buzz and, and, and that's useful. Like that has its benefit, but it's also different from, as you said, like having a shamanic dose where it's inducing something very profound. And like, uh, I was thinking when you were talking about that, uh, I had the same question when, when I was doing a really long period of dieting and, and one of my main teachers, uh, Ernesto, I was drinking a lot of uh, tree barks mis mixed with tobacco and the smell and the taste was was so strong and I would start feeling it in my body like two hours before he even came. I would just start to smell it. The smell would just start to permeate the air and I would start to get nauseous. I would start to get like almost this like this nervous energy in me where I was like shaking and I was cold and then I'd get really hot. And, and one day I asked him, I was like, you know, Ernesto, like why, like, look, I, I love you. I, I appreciate what you're doing, but why does all of this medicine like taste and smell so bad? And he said, because it's preparing you. It's like, if you can overcome that, then when you're working in the shamanic realm, then you, you've overcome that in, in, you know, even just that act of overcoming the smell, overcoming the taste, it's like a put away, but it's a test and it's preparing you for when even greater things begin to come in the shamanic realm, that, that by doing that, you're preparing yourself. And I mean, it kind of sounded nice, but, but then it, when I really started thinking about it, there, there's also this, because you're talking about like rape or tobacco near, near where you were in the Amazon, there, there's a group of people called the Witoto people uh, or the, the, the Bora people. And they're, they're related to the Witoto and they work a lot with, with ambil, with tobacco paste, also with coca, uh, similar like to how Amika is working a bit. Um, and they have a, they have a, um, uh, like a leyenda, a, a, a legend or a, a, a tale. And, and they say, and I could be getting this a little wrong. Um, it's, it's been a while, but I think the, the name of the creative energy is, is Buinaima. And they would say, like, Buinaima, he dreamt the world into creation. And it, that's 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 very significant because often when we think about dreams or the shamanic world, we often look at it in terms of as, as if it's not real, like it's not this reality. This reality is what's real. 
and any other reality, my dream space or an altered state of consciousness, it, it's other than real. It, it's a hallucination. It's it's not real. But also any shamanic path would say that that space is, is also real. It's also reality. And in a sense, it's even more real than this reality. Because in this reality, we're bound. We're bound by time. We're bound by space. We're, we're bound by certain laws. In that reality, there's infinite possibility. And I think that's to a large extent why these plants have such an ability to heal is because they're not bound by some of these things that, that, that limit us. And in that space, there's true potentiality. And from the shamanic point of view, like this story that Buinaima dreamt this reality into existence, there's this shamanic idea that actually reality the universe started in the dream space, in the altered state. And from that, it manifested into this reality. So in a way, this reality is secondary. And also with the, the Borden, the Witoto, they say the one of the reasons we take tobacco is because tobacco allows us to dream like Buinaima dreamt this universe into creation. So that's very profound. And it's saying this medicine, tobacco, has the ability to allow us to dream this earth into creation, to, essentially to have the same dream that God dreamt, to have that same creative process. That's what creation is in, in Christianity. That's the creation myth. The creator created this into existence. From what? doesn't really say, but from that shamanic point of view, is from the dream. He dreamt, he created this world into existence. So these medicines like tobacco, like you were saying at Ape, if given in the proper dose, in the proper set, the proper setting, also with the with the proper person. Um, like I, I spent some time with the Matzais, and they, they also work a lot with Ape. They call it Nuna. And they would say, you, you only would receive the, the, the rape, the nuna, from someone uh, who has qualities that you want to take on, because you're going to be taking on their qualities, <laughs> whether you want to or not. So choose very wisely who you allow to, to do that. And, and in the same idea of ayahuasca, like who, who, is, who is the healer? Who is the person singing their songs? Like... Do they have gnosis? And in Shipibo, that's uni, knowledge. Do they have that knowledge? Are they a true unaya, one who works with uni, one who works with ayahuasca, one who has knowledge? Hopefully so, because you're going to be taking on part of them. Like there, there's a there's a dance, there's a co-creative aspect when when they're working with you. So with these medicines like like tobacco, as you were saying, if given in the right way, it's taking us to that place where we're beginning to dream this 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 reality into existence. Our reality, we're beginning to understand how to make that manifest, and that's no joke. <laughs> you know, that's uh, yeah. again to a lot of people that sounds really good until you you also realize the responsibility that comes with that. Once you begin mm -hmm. to realize mm -hmm. the principles that one also has to follow. Uh, it's, you know, if, if, if we cheat or we lie or we steal and we know in a very deep way that that's, that's against this life-giving force, it's, it's not true, it's not good, then we also begin to feel that much more. And there's more consequences when we do that. 
And that responsibility becomes greater because there's this lived thing inside of us. And there's this felt sense that's ever more deep the more we begin to embody these things. And it becomes more and more difficult to go against that. And it's not to say we won't. We will. We will make mistakes. We will fall down. But also they become more challenging. They become more difficult. And so I, I think to kind of answer that, it's difficult because as we begin to clear these things away, in a way, the responsibilities, the, the truth that we have to live by becomes more precise. It becomes more acute. And, and that's a big responsibility to take on. And, and almost no one is ready to fully take on that responsibility, as you were saying, to be Christ. Almost nobody's ready to, that, to do that. But to whatever degree they are, it becomes more and more challenging. Because mm. anything that's out of alignment of what that truth is, I now have to begin to, to like in Spanish, they would say cargar. I have to, I have to begin to carry that. And, and that's a, that, that begins to be, it's only a weight when we don't, but if we do carry it, it's what sets us, it's what sets us free. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was just about to ask that. I was like, what happens if you refuse that, right? Because I've heard, you know, the refusal of the call, the refusal of the responsibility, you know, creates a lot more suffering. Either way, there's going to be suffering, right? Like you're going like to have challenges and suffering, but wouldn't you rather them to be sort of a, more of, of an aligned, in tune suffering than a, a, a dismantling, terrifying kind of suffering? Uh, on the other, on the other way, yeah. Also, those challenges can get much more. Like the closer we get to to, to what we're actually looking for, I think the, in a way, the greater the challenges become. Mm. Mm. You know, it's like the, if we the realize tests. the tests, yeah, yeah. Like if my test is, I have to give up chocolate. Okay, you know. Maybe that sucks. Maybe I really like chocolate. But it doesn't have that life and death quality to it. If mm -hmm, the test is, mm -hmm. yeah. I stand for freedom, that that literally has a life and death quality. Like, you can be killed for that. Sure. Just look throughout history. How many people yeah. have been killed for standing for something they believe in? We're yeah. not too far from that right now. <laughs> For sure. Well, well, yeah, and this goes into that fear. Because what, what does it really mean to be alive if you're not willing to really live for what matters? What, who cares about death if... if yeah, it's very interesting to me. I mean, I, I like living. I like my life. I suppose if I was put in a position where I had to really fight for it, like I... Well, I'm not really quite sure what I would do, but I'd like to believe that that I would fight for what's right and what and and true. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a very interesting thing to sacrifice what you to sacrifice for you know something that seems just surface level and, and kind of shallow, like to, con to sacrifice, to, to continue going on. Right. So w the world that we're, that we're living in, a lot of us agree that it's not that great. 
Like people would like things to be better. However, they're, in my opinion, a lot of people are sort of, you know, taking the quick and easy treats <laughs> or the bait uh, to just say, okay, just this will be fine for now. But it's never just fine for now. So, yeah, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, I mean, and that, 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 I, I that's know the idea that principle, I, right? Is, yeah. is, is this right? If the answer is no, I have to be willing to stand in that. Like, is discrimination right. okay? And, and that, that's a really legitimate question. Like, I think a lot of people, their inherent response to that is no. But I don't, I don't know that a lot of people have really thought deeply on that. Like, is it okay to discriminate? I think you can make a very good case. The answer is yes. We all discriminate all the sure. time. Uh, stores discriminate, restaurants discriminate. Uh, you know, you can't wear, if it's a really nice restaurant, you can't wear shorts. They're discriminating. Is that okay? It's a difficult question. You, you know, you can take that either way. Um, we, we discriminate based yeah. on age. Can you drink alcohol at five years old? We say no. Why? Because we're discriminating. We're saying no. You, you, we as a society say you need to be at least 18 or 21, whatever it is, to, to be able to drink. We're discriminating based on age. Um, even in the pandemic, that was a really common question in the beginning was if there was a shortage of ventilators, uh, who gets them? Well, you have to discriminate. Mm -hmm. You have to come up with some criteria that you're going to begin to discriminate on people with. But people don't know, like that word, though. They don't like right? the word discriminate. Right. They don't like that word. Yeah. Right. But, but you're right. I think, you know, w because we don't like that word, because we also inherently realize that there is something wrong with that. Like that uh, on a fundamental level, there's something not good. Like if we're discriminating in a way that that's coming from that place, that's again, going back to that Shipibo idea of truth. Is it divisive? If we're discriminating and it's 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 an act of union or it's serving, then it's good. But if it's discriminatory and it's divisive, it's hurting someone. And I think and, and that's what we usually think of when we think of that idea of discrimination. There, there's some pain that's generated. We're hurting someone. We're removing someone. And so I think most of us, that guttural reaction of no, that's not good is, is true. It's coming from a good place. Like that's not right. But as we've seen, the pandemic is a great example. We're very willing to discriminate on people. Mm -hmm. Very, mm -hmm. very willing to. And, and a lot of the people who are willing to discriminate, if you ask them if discrimination is okay, they would very, very quickly say no. But again, right. it's because they're not really standing on a strong principle. Is this right? Right. And, right. and again, if the answer is no, then, then if you don't stand by that, 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 in a shamanic sense, we would say we lose our internal power. We have no power left. Sure. Yeah. And even from a shamanic point of view, they would say like that's where Bruharia is able to penetrate us. If we're in integrity... If we're standing on principle, to be in integrity means to be whole. So if we're whole, that there's no there's no area for you know bruheria, witchcraft, whatever you want to call it, bad bad thoughts, bad energy. We're whole. 
But very few of us are truly whole. We all have our kind of Achilles heels. We all have our blind spots. We all have our beliefs. We all have these things. And that's where kind of going back to the other question, like it's very difficult to really stand in that principle, to be ridiculed, mm -hmm. to be laughed at, to be from the Schopenhauer quote, to be violently opposed, standing on principle. It's much easier to let that go. But as you were saying, ultimately, that is going to cause us a greater suffering, but it just may not be as apparent in the short term. Right, right. Yeah, this is what I'm getting at is like the, the, the mortgaging or the sacrificing of the, the, the depths of what life has to offer when we stand in integrity, when we allow you know, ourselves to surrender to true freedom within ourselves and then to have that ripple outward. Because what it seems like is that what he, most of human civilization seems to ha have done is like say, okay, well, you know, we don't want this to to continue. So we'll just do the thing. We'll compromise. We'll, we'll, we'll make concessions. But what, but why is it like, why is that worth it? Why, why do you want to live in a world of concessions and consolation prizes? That's the thing that I don't really fully get. It's, it's very hard for me to wrap my ha hand around, uh, my head around that. But I mean, I guess it comes all, all back to, f to fear, right? I mean, like when put with a test, like this, the pandemic has been a test, right? It's a, it's a huge test. Like who, who is, who is willing to stand up in truth, freedom, liberty, peace, um, acceptance for like, right? Like, Hey, accept me for my choices, my body so as a sovereign being. And um, yeah, I, I, it seems like we're just, m most people are willing to just compromise and make concessions in order to keep going in the, the, the less satisfying, less gratifying and less truthful world. Yeah. That's my perspective on it. Yeah. And, and I think to a degree, like we're all looking for safety and, and that's where all of these things, um, again, from right. this more like shamanic point of view, all things have a light and a dark to them. Like, I think that's true. That may not be true, but, but in that, in that world of like form, you know, even when we say like everything, like etymologically, it's, it's everything, which means every, anything, any physical thing, that's what makes up the universe. So everything in a way has it, it's it's light and it's dark and i think on an even deeper level it, it comes back more to to like the way in which something is used so like we were talking about tobacco or ayahuasca a lot of people consider these as like dark things like black magic i mean here in peru people were persecuted they were murdered for working with ayahuasca or tobacco they were considered witches and and sorcerers and they were killed can those plants be worked with in bad ways also yes i mean probably everyone has heard a story now of someone who goes to a a shaman somewhere and they get sexually abused or they, you know that's also reality but is that the ayahuasca or is that the person or the manner in which it's being used and I, and I think in that fundamental level, when you look at it in, from more of this kind of, again, shamanic or spiritual way, everything in itself is neutral, but it in, inherently it's one, you know, everything is one, everything is from God. So 
But in the duality, everything has its light and its dark. It has its good and its bad. Ayahuasca can be used to heal. It can also be used to manipulate. People get in very, very open and vulnerable states when they drink ayahuasca. So what's being fed to them? Are they being fed positive things, affirmations, you can do this, like, I got your back, you're going to get through this, like, you're good. Or, oh my God, you're dying, we have to get the paramedics. Or, hey, you know, you're really beautiful. Like, hey, maybe we should, uh, I really feel connected to you. And I think there's something, you know, it's, one is very vulnerable in that state. So uh, with all of these things, uh, there's anything can be used for good and anything can be used for bad. And uh, the, I kind of lost my train of thought, but you were talking about the. Um, yeah. Well, 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 let's, let's talk about th this for a second. So what you're saying is like, essentially it's reminding me of, of the discrimination uh, against like early on in the pandemic when people were talking about alternative options. So this is this is one of the things that that has come to me. So the point here is that we want these quick solutions and we're willing to sacrifice, you uh, know, right. the, the deeper yeah. truth, right? Um, yeah. So if you have something that, that's come back to you on that, like please please take it away. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, also along those lines, it's. The kind of that idea of, of sacrificing something short term for long term gain. And again, that's really tricky because that's that's also like that's what investing is. Like I'm gonna sacrifice something on the short term for long term gain. Like instead of going and blowing all my money, I'm gonna put it in the bank. And that's a sacrifice. And the idea is that in the long term I'll I'll come out better for that. And so I think that's what you know a lot of people think. Like I think again that that mentality is coming from a good place. Well, we'll make a short-term sacrifice and it's going to have a long-term positive gain. Um mm -hmm. but that's where that's where again principle comes in. Like what am I sacrificing? And am I sacrificing from my own volition or am I being forced to do something like that's a mm. that for me is a really big key you know even yeah. even in some of like our other podcasts kind of talking about like libertarianism that's a that's a big fundamental key is it's voluntary once you begin right. to use force or coercion even if it's for the so-called greater good and almost every mass atrocity in the history of the world has been in the name of a greater good right then you've gone away from that principle You've gone away from the principle of life giving. Once you start to dominate someone, coerce them, use power to to, to force them to do something, well, there is no long term gain anymore. Because in the short term, you've you've gone against principle. You're, you're doing something that's bad. So anything that's going to come from that ultimately is imbued with that same energy. Yeah. And so, but, but that's where it, it, that's where it's tricky is like, we all want to be good people. We want to help out. We, and I think in, in a way the pandemic was, was a very beautiful manifestation of that. Like people were like, okay, two weeks to flatten the curve. I'm going to do my part. 
let's do it. You know, even people who like live day by day, like even two weeks is difficult, man. Like that's, yeah. If you're making 30 soles a day, like here in Peru, when, when you go to fill up at the gas station, you put in five soles because that's all you have. You don't fill up the tank because you don't have 30 soles to fill up the tank. You have five and then you go work and you get another five and you, you know, you fill it up or you get six and you keep one for food. So to go two weeks, you know, that's a sacrifice. But, but I think that also in a way showed like the beauty of humanity that, yeah, we're, we're willing to do this, like for the greater good, we're willing to do this. Um, but yeah, definitely, you know, that's where these things get so nuanced too is, and, and I think, you know, when one begins to think about these things, I think especially like libertarianism does a really good job of like just making us think about things from a different angle. Um, like sure. there's a Johns Hopkins report that was recently published that, that showed lockdowns had like an almost negligible positive net gain, something like 0.2% mm-hmm. or something. And, and like what a lot of the the researchers pointed out is is something for example i mean you see this in peru like peru had one if not the the most strict lockdown in the world but definitely one of the 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 more strict lockdowns and also the highest death rate now is that just correlation or is there direct causation there most likely it was a direct causation why well as most people know now, the virus doesn't transmit very well outside. It doesn't transmit in fresh air. It doesn't transmit in sunlight. Most Peruvian houses have no air, air circulation, almost no natural sunlight. So all of a sudden you lock people down for two weeks in this enclosed environment uh, and a lot of people end up getting sick. And also like what the researchers were saying, which is just kind of human nature. Like if you tell people you can't go outside and go to a beach, well, they're still doing their part. They're staying inside, but they're still human. So they're still going to congregate. They're still going to meet up. And so now you have all these people meeting up in enclosed spaces, <laughs> yeah, which ends up being worse. So, you know, even with the good intentions, worse, right. like what, what is the, what is the, the real, the real cost of that? And and I think that's where the difference is between force and being like voluntary action. You can tell people like, hey, this is what we think. This is coming from the experts. This is what we think. Um, but this is what we recommend. And ultimately, you're a free human being. And the choice has to be yours. And once it's not yours, well, then I think as someone pointed out, like, what is the difference between that and house arrest? Most of us would say house arrest is not good. And yet somehow we said it is good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I mean, really we're under the spell. This is brujeria. This is the manipulation of, you know, um, you can, you can draw the comparison here between the so-called, you know, powers that be who are making the decisions, the, the people that are feeding the engine that keeps the status quo incentive system going and uh, with the control and the power, are like the manip- are manipulative shamans that are that are casting spells over people and saying, "No, this is this is the way it's going to be. Do this, don't do that." Very manipulative because people are yeah. in a trance, right? Like 
we've we we were hit with a shock and awe event. People were got f- very fearful and basically said, "Yeah, tell us what to do. What do we do?" But there's that natural instinct of the human being. They're gonna congregate with people. Everybody. I don't know anybody that's followed the rules and the mandates and all that kind of stuff to a T. I'm sure there's people out there that have, but I personally don't. There's people that make concessions. They're like, well, we got to get together with people. We got to, because that's that energy, like you were saying, of life, of creation that wants to keep going. You can't keep that down, right? And we're seeing mm-hmm. that now with the the trucker rally in Canada, you know, all over the world. People are fed up and, yeah, I mean, uh, what? And, and that's a very good think? example because, like most most shamans who yeah. do bad things, most of them are not, I think, actively trying to. Like, I think most mm. of them still, to some degree, have good intentions, mm. but they haven't done the work deeply enough to themselves to realize what all of the consequences of their actions are. Right. And I think that's the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. And I think that's exactly how how you put it. Uh, You know, I remember thinking in the beginning of the pandemic, like, why are we only listening to epidemiologists? Like, for sure, they have a valid field. It's super important. Their voice is super important. But the world isn't epidemiological, it consists of economies and psychology and other diseases and. Uh, you know, human nature and just infinite different things. And if that's all you're focused on, you don't realize what all those unintended consequences are. And as you Mm -hmm. said, when people are under that spell, they want to listen to one person who's going to be their savior. But, but then you lose all of the other things. And just like that shaman who's most likely trying to help but he's under his own spells. He's under his own spells of power. He hasn't done the work. So he gives someone a dose because he thinks this is the right dose and the person ends up freaking out and then they end up in a worse place than to begin with. And he's like, but you know, but I was trying to do good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. he also, he doesn't have that gnosis. He doesn't have that deeper understanding. And um Yeah. Yeah. And even in, even like with some of the, you know, maybe, I don't know what I would would uh, just beliefs I guess maybe some dogmatic beliefs right like some some ayahuasqueros will say you know stay away from cannabis because it's a very you know seductive and controlling kind of plant we don't want that energy some would say hey that's fine you know all plants are welcome here you know there's there's different views in different areas which mm-hmm. which reminds to me again I can't help relating this back from like sort of the the micro uh, individual healer aspect or communal ceremonial aspect to the macro, like big societal civilizational aspect, which is, you know, the, the discrimination and oppression and suppression of other options for healing, right? It's like, it's like the do- maybe dogmatic belief, maybe nefarious intentions, maybe driven by profit, probably, most likely. But I'm thinking of uh, Dr. Uh, Emmanuel, I think was Stella Emmanuel, like early on mm-hmm. in the pandemic was working with a African born doctor. And so there's like a little bit of probably uh, racism in there as well of just like, well, no, she's using these like voodoo techniques. And this is not, this isn't, this is like witchcraft. This isn't real medicine. We've got science we've got. So, uh, it, it, you know, and then with, with ivermectin, like 
why not just let everybody just make the cho- why not you know if we lived in a if we lived in a world right i mean i know you and i are on the same page with this but it's just for the listeners there it's it's just like a thought experiment if we really lived in a world where people wanted to help us wouldn't they say hey we're in this pandemic there's this virus we don't know what it is we're going to explore all options everything's on the table nothing is we're going to explore everything and yeah try it see what works for you well, that's right. And, and that's, again, where it comes back to principle. Like we, we all talk about things like diversity and, um, but yeah, then when inclusion, it comes to it, yeah, right. inclusion, yeah. We, we don't believe that. Then we want it mm-hmm. one way and it's my way or no way. And if you don't do it my way, I'm going to demonize you. I'm going to throw you in jail. You're excommunicated from society. So it, it's not diverse at all. It's the, the opposite of diversity. It's singularity. It's, and it also goes back to this idea of shamanism or holistic medicine, health, even even Western medicine. Two people come into the doctor. The doctor does not give them the same medicine. Why? Because they're two different human beings. <laughs> they have completely yeah. different problems. They have completely different life situations. They're different age, different weight, different diets. So you, you, there's not a panacea remedy that you give to everyone that's going to cure everyone. It just doesn't exist. It, it's literally fun. Like... It's the most basic concept of medicine that you have to look at the person in a holistic manner. And, and that goes for everything from families to societies, to communities, to countries, even in terms of countries, very different. Like how are the people living? What are they like? What is their health like? How much sunshine are they getting? What is, what are their living situations like? Are they able to, you know, everyone in the beginning, it, and again, kind of like you said, there is this a bit like elitism or I don't want to say racism, but but this this view that that like if I can do something, everyone can do it. If I can work for home for two weeks, then everyone should be able to do that. I'm making the sacrifice, therefore everyone should. Yeah, but most people don't like a lot of people in the world don't have a computer. A lot of people in the world mm-hmm. can't work from home. <laughs> they can't order their right. groceries and then disinfect them. And, you know, so... Are you, are you, is your principle, you really want to help people? Mm. If the answer is yes, then, then there's something that's out of alignment there. Yeah. I don't think so. (laughs) I I think it's self-preservation, right? And rationalization, rationalization, self-preservation. Hey, I'm doing, I'm doing my part, you know, but really, I, yeah, I really question how many people really truly care about other people and how many people really want to be seen as the noble, virtuous, moral ones. For right? sure. Because it's sure. easier. It's it's easy to be seen that way now online in the digital space. Go take a selfie uh, at a hospital and when you're wearing a mask, uh, maybe you're dropping off some snacks or something for the workers. Hey, I'm doing my part. Like I'm contributing. But what are you really doing it for? You're, I don't know. I'm making this scenario up. But I'm yeah. just saying like that I think that by the nature of the medium that is of our time, uh, a lot of people are sort of maybe unconsciously pulled towards showcasing mm-hmm. uh, virtue and, and, and stuff. And we've talked yeah. about this before. Um, but yeah, what, what's something that's really sort of, you know, on the top of your mind around this? this topic right now, or maybe at the top of your heart, like something that you're really feeling, um, 
around the the sort of global situation uh, right now? Well, kind of going back to your last point, I, I mean, that's also a, a very big thing of plant work or I, I don't necessarily like the word spirituality, but for lack of a better word is- Yeah, we know, need new words. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But like you were saying, there there is something about being virtuous in that way. And also where that becomes very difficult is part of that fear we were talking about is when I believe I'm virtuous, when I believe what I'm doing is right, then when someone comes along and does something else, it's not just that they're doing something else for them. It's that it's perceived as a direct attack on me because who I identify with is my virtuosity. It's, it's my beliefs. And if someone comes along and has a different belief system, whether we realize it or not, it's, it's taken as a direct attack on us because all of a sudden it, right. it, it, it calls into question, is my belief system true? And it, and if it gets threatened, often people will use like the idea of the ego with that. If the ego gets threatened by someone else having a different belief system, sometimes a radically different belief system, the ego's natural response is to fight, to destroy, to kill that other belief system. Because now my ego is king again. There's no more threats. It's just me. And so there's something in that that act of being virtuous, which when something comes along and threatens that, it has to fight. It has to demonize. It, it has to belittle the other because that's the nature of the ego. Is it in order to survive, the ego has to be right. And if mm. it's not, yeah. then the fear begins to arise. Well, who am I? Well, what is real? Well, what is right? And it's much easier, again, to demonize the other person if we take it to a, an extreme scale to kill the person than to really go inside and begin to allow that ego to begin to fall away. Because that's really scary. Mm. That's really scary. Because it, it's kind of like opening up Pandora's box. Well, if I'm not right about this, then what else am I not right about? If I've been overlooking this, what else in my life have I been overlooking? And all of a sudden the pillars begin to fall away. And then we're left, you know, people say they want to be egoless, but almost nobody really does mm. because it's terrifying. I don't even know what's up and down. I don't know what's left and right. And the antidote to that is, is it's kind of a dirty word now, but it's faith or trust. Like if we can really trust in the universe, then then also we're free. But that's very difficult mm. to to truly trust in life. Um, trust in the universe within. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. I mean, I I imagine yeah. you you titled your podcast that for a particular reason. I'm curious to know a little bit about that, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on on a common sort of topic uh, that gets that gets tossed around, which is this concept of ego death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the universe within, it was actually an ode to, uh, to one of my first teachers. He was a guy named Dr. David Jubb, uh, really, really fascinating human being. But he had a little show called The Universe Within, no, it was The Universe Inside Your Mind. 
So originally I wanted to call it that, but I didn't want to steal his name. So I thought, well, what's the essence of that also with plant work? And so I came up with the universe within. Um, but it's essentially that, this, this, this kind of thing that you hear in all sorts of traditions about this idea of, of going within, that if we really want to change the world, we have to change ourselves. Like there's not a separation. I mean, again, that's a, that's a very common spiritual idea that we kind of think we understand on an intellectual level. But if we really begin to embody that, that means what's good for me is good for the universe. What's good for the universe is good for me, that there's not a separation. And that's a very radical way of thinking. Um, yeah, one would like, say like, that's a, a kind of a, com a communal way of thinking. Yeah. You know, even Community. a really common example, like if I'm eating apples that grow here, that's probably going to be good for me. Why? Because they're local. They're, they're growing yeah. in the season. They're, they're from here. They're, there's no real cost. The, the cost is me taking five steps to the tree and, and pulling it down. I eat it. I, I give it back. Rather than me eating um, caviar that's imported Oranges from, from Florida. Russia. Yeah, exactly. Oh, right. You know, yeah. that it's probably not going to be giving me on a nourishment level what I need in this climate right here, right now. And there's a tremendous cost to that. There's a tremendous cost of, of, of bringing that to here. So those things, right. they're not they're not different. Like what's good for me is also good for the world. What's good for the world is also good for me. Um, so... Yeah, but anyway, the, that that's where the universe uh, that's where the universe within came. W w the was your second part of the question? Let let's let let's stick on this actually because the, what's what's coming to mind now is is the emphasis and the importance ego of death, healing yeah. with yeah, but the the, the 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 yeah we can get into that, but I I'm, I want to kind of like get touch on a little bit of like how healing happens by really tapping into your local environment and with people that, you know, cause I think there's this idea. Yeah. And this even ties into ego death. Like, Oh, I killed my ego. And you know, I, I did, I did 10 grams of mushrooms in my room alone. And, you know, but, but there's, there's an essence of community. Like we have, like we have to be tapped into our environment and the people around us to some degree to really fully receive that what you're saying, what's good for me is good for the environment, good for the community, good for the universe. Right. So mm -hmm. yeah, maybe there's something there in terms of like that there is this, this, this deep in like we're, we're deciphering between individual, like individual going within and healing. Yes. A hundred percent. But that doesn't mean that you're isolated mm -hmm. from the world and your environment. Right. That's a super important point. And I think that's where that's where I see a lot of confusion. And it goes in terms of political, like, is the individual king or is the, the community king? You know, shouldn't we have socialism because we're we're focusing on the greater good? And 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 I think just as you said, I think for me that's where the fundamental confusion comes in, is this idea that those are somehow separate that by sacrificing myself, the, the, the greater good will be greater. Well, it won't because I'm sacrificing myself. It, it goes back to that idea of like using force. Once I go against nature, once, once I have to harm myself or uh, 
you know, not be happy and say, well, if I'm not happy, then the greater good is going to be happy. No, they're not, because that's just one more unhappy person in the greater good. I'm, I'm, sp- mm-hmm. I'm coming from that, that energy that that's, that's all I'm now relating to everyone around me. So what happens? Well, unhappiness spreads. Why? Because I'm unhappy. If I'm happy, then the, the greater good will be happy. If nothing else, even if I was a hermit in the middle of nowhere, well, that's one more happy person in the greater good. And yes, we don't, most of us don't live as hermits. So that happiness begins to spread and, and it has a tangible effect and it begins to spread and it actually begins to create the greater good. So mm. I think a lot of people look at like, well, if you just let individuals run wild, then the world would just be burning and everything. Well, no, because then if the world was burning, we wouldn't be happy. Like we'd be all suffering. So it's it has to start within. Even in like where you were at the temple, like, you know, as you remember, the, the way that someone learns from plants is to go into a dieta. It's not a communal right. practice. You're in isolation. And the only place you have to start from is you. That's it. And from that place, one can begin to, to come into wholeness, to come into integrity. You know, to heal means to be whole. So if someone is truly healed, if they're truly whole, then again, that's the energy they're emitting and every action is coming from a place of healing because they're whole so every action they take is a healing action and so how does that affect the collective well it's healing to the collective and then that affects someone else and they're operating from that energy of healing so in a way you could say yes it's selfish because i'm i have to start with me but it's not selfish because it's ultimately serving the whole when we serve ourselves when we come into wholeness when when we come into harmony that directly affects the whole so i think that's where a lot of like the confusion comes in because it, it's again seeing things as separate parts like that these two entities are antithetical to each other like the, the individual and the community can't exist in harmony. Like one has to sacrifice for the other. If we want the individuals to be strong, there's no community. If we want the community to be strong, there can't be any individual rights. And and that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense on a mathematical level. It doesn't make sense on an energetic level. And it doesn't make sense on the level of spirit. If this idea is everything is one, then what's truly good, what's truly, again, going back to that Shipibo idea, what's truly good is life-giving. It's life-giving for myself. It's life-giving for life. It's life-giving for the community. It's life-giving. It's life-giving for everything. Um, Mm -hmm. In in terms of the, the ego death, it's a big subject. And, and I think, I think a lot of that is also, ideas that we have about that my ego is bad and I have to kill it. Um, I think the easiest way without getting too much into it is the voice that's saying I have to get rid of my ego (laughs) is my ego. (laughs) So by by getting rid of my ego, I'm just enhancing my ego. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. It's again, I don't think it's about getting rid of something. It's about coming into balance. It's about being whole. Yeah. It's about being in mm. integrity. And, and 
And that's kind of the paradox. And, and none of it is ever going to quite make sense in terms of words or language, because words and language are also in the realm of duality. No words are ever going to point you, no words are going to give you God or the, the, the oneness experience, uh, because they can't, because they we all exist in the world of form. It's why the greatest books, the greatest poetry, we, we have a deep felt sense of something, but it's not going to take us there. It's, it's, it's like it's trying to point us there. And the really beautiful works can give us a glimpse of that, but it's not absolute. If it was, we would all have some book and we would read it and we'd all be God or enlightened, however we want to, we'd have no, no ego, no unhealthy ego. So in this reality, like the, the, the ego is necessary. Like we need to know that there's a me and there's a someone else. Uh, if I want to go to the city, there's a me and there's my motorcycle, I'm going to get on. If there's no motorcycle, <laughs> it wouldn't function. If there's no gravity, right. it wouldn't function. If there's no accelerative force, it wouldn't, nothing, nothing works. Like we need all of that duality. Um, yeah. But often in a, maybe another way of relating it, often in like more shamanic terms, you'll often hear the Shipibo use this word. It's a Spanish word, but they, they say dominar, which I guess literally would translate to dominate, but probably a better word is to master. So often our ego is dominating us. It's, it's ruling us. It's, it's, it's out of balance to the point where we're not able to see clearly. That's what vipassana means, like to see things as they actually are. It's one of the qualities of tobacco that people often relate is it allows me to see things as they actually are. From a Christian perspective, it's it's the word, word apocalypse. I think it's right. something that's been yeah, really- Yeah, the lifting of the veil. Yeah, really misunderstood yeah. that the apocalypse is the end of time. Well, it is, but in a good way, not in a bad way, like we're all going to die. It's the end of time because it's the end of the illusion. It is our death, but it's the death of everything that's not serving us. It's lifting the veil so that we can see things as they actually are, rather than through all of the veils, through all of the mass, through all of the ego patterns and belief systems and things we've been raised through society. So the apocalypse is beautiful. It's, it's what we're all looking for. That's why the apocalypse is always in the future. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It actually only exists now, but since we 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 we're not able to see things as they actually are, we think that the apocalypse is coming in the future. There's something I have to do before I can actually see things as they actually are. From kind of the misaligned point of view, again, the apocalypse is going to come at some point and then we're all going to die. As in yeah. like the end of the world. No, it's the end of the illusion. But Right. Uh, so that ego death, I think a lot of people, maybe not a lot, but there are people who would use that phrase when they go into a very profound, often plant medicine process, working with one of the very strong plants, maybe called master plants, ayahuasca, wachuma, peyote, tobacco, iboga, these these plants can induce an experience that people feel like they have died mm -hmm. but they would say it's an ego death because their body is 
they emerge from that experience. Their body is still there. But often in that experience, everything they, they think they knew or everything that they think they are dissolves. And that's why it's often called like a heroic journey or a, the, the hero's journey is because it's literally you're going on the journey of your life. You're, you're traveling mm -hmm. to the foreign lands and encountering things that you never could have dreamed of and being tossed into these tornadoes and tsunamis and having to overcome them and eventually going into the cave and having to slay the dragon and that's a that's a really beautiful archetype as well like the the word for dragon it, it comes from serpent the dragon is the winged serpent and it, it's a it's an archetype you see all over the world and the serpent et etymologically it means light and it it means the light that's reflected back. Mm. And so even that's like the, the story of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my name's Jason. That's the story of Jason oh. and the Argonauts or like yeah, the you, story. You yeah, just okay. froze for a second. Oh, sorry. You're yeah. coming back on. Um, there you go. But, yeah. The, the story of. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And like the story of Medusa going, going into the cave facing often it can be this feminine energy of these serpents and the only way to overcome that was to hold a mirror to her own to her own face and the light reflected back mm -hmm. is what turned her into stone and so it's mm -hmm. that it's that same archetype that ultimately it's not slaying the serpent it's not slaying the dragon it's knowing thyself it's ultimately going into the darkness holding the mirror up to our own face and seeing that who we thought we were were not and that's the ultimate mm -hmm. enlightenment. That's the slaying of the dragon. And yeah. in that ego death experience, now, th those are just like archetypal examples. Everyone's experience is going to be completely different, completely unique, but maybe having some of these themes of extreme challenge, extreme journeying, and, and reaching a point where one begins to dissolve. And often that can be a very scary process, but one is left with a sense of freedom, liberation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But almost always it's temporary because it has to be in a way because we come back to what we call this reality and, and, and that duality begins to, to take form again. I, I look and I see, wow, like there's a body here. And then I, I look around yeah. and, and, and I see light. And, and then I remember, you know, maybe someone asked me, like, who are you? And, and I can't answer because there is no me still, that that concept doesn't exist. But then slowly I begin to say, oh, yeah, I'm Jason and I'm a man. And this is, this is where I am. And Jason is hungry and Jason, uh, Jason loves you or Jason thanks you. And then it's, well, it's not Jason. The word is me or I. Oh, yeah. Well, it seems kind of strange to come back to that. But then it's like the game again. Oh, yeah, I, I am me. So I, I am thirsty. I am hungry. And, and then we, we, we come back to, to this reality and everything that that entails. But very often people are left. There's a resonance of that almost like a, a gnosis and knowing of something that happened that they can't shake. 
And it's not right. to say they're never going to be unhappy again or they're enlightened, but there's some resonant effect where they can draw on that and it gives them a different perspective. It shows them that there was something beyond what they thought was ultimate reality and that there was something beyond that that was incomprehensible, uh, beyond the mind, beyond their imagination. And that's why people often refer to it as they say something like, I experience God, or I died and I was reborn. Um, it was something so profound where it, it shattered the egoic illusion of what they thought was real. Oh, hold on a second. You you dropped off with uh, something so profound. You're back. Uh, yeah. Uh, this idea that it was something so profound that, that it shattered their their sense of what was real. And and they, they often experience something like, I, I experienced God, or I died and I was reborn. And and that experience stays with them. And it, it, it's something that, that they can't really shake off. Some people may feel called to go back to that in the future. Some people maybe not. Uh, that's that's what they need and that that kind of brings them peace there was a you're probably familiar with the study of johns hopkins are you still there mike yeah 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 can you hear um, me yeah yep. yeah i can hear you there was that study of johns hopkins where um they worked with terminally ill patients on their deathbed and i forget the percentage but i think it was a majority of people maybe six out of ten or something and, and after that experience of working with psilocybin, and these were people who knew they were going to die. They had a lot of fear around that, not just fear for themselves, but uh, fear that they were going to lose their loved ones, their loved ones would suffer after they died. A, a, a large number of people after that experience kind of relayed something similar where they feel like they saw, some people would say something like they saw the light or they died and they came back and that that fear that tightness that rigidity around what was laying ahead of them dissolved and they felt at peace they felt they felt okay with what was going to to come yeah 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 i, I remember that study i think it was like 86% or something i think it was a pretty high percentage mm. um but okay, this gets me to like the apocalypse, the lifting of the veil, the ego death, truth, reality as it is, seeing it as it is. This is this is this is ultimate truth, yes? Like this is what you know, you hear a lot of people say, like, well, my truth or my experience or or my thing, but there is sort of there's there's a one common thread that really points to this felt direct experience that a lot of us have had and the the gnosis that comes along with that the would you say that this is like the one truth yeah that's a that's a big question um the video is paused i don't know are you able to see me you're kind of frozen yeah, i can i can I can see you. Um, I think. I think it will. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, after uh, when I stop it. It might. It might just like uh, be scrambled for now and then come back. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a that's a big question. I, I think 
I think for most of humanity, people would have acknowledged that there was truth. And truth kind of in this idea of a capital T. I think this idea that there's not truth is a, is a much more modern phenomena. Almost this like postmodern thing of there is no truth. And, and I think in a way, I think ultimately there is truth. <laughs> but I think it goes back to that idea that we were kind of saying of, of these, even like these plants, this idea that they're, they're neither good, they can be used for both good and bad. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, that to me seems like a good example. Are they good or are they bad? I think in an ultimate sense, in an ultimate truth, if we're talking about that, they're good. Why? Because mm-hmm. they're life-giving. They can heal. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that they're absolutely good. They also have bad to it. And I think that's the, that's the point where you can say, like, in an ultimate sense, nothing is either good or bad. Nothing is, like, 100% true or 100% untrue. The fact that the fact that there is a day means there's a night. So again, in this realm of duality, there's always this true and untrue, and nothing 100% embodies that. But I think, as you were saying, this idea of truth is something that's deeper, and and I, I really like the way the the Shipibo put it, which is it's it's that which is true is that which is life giving. And it, it's yeah. this idea of, of like union, that which that which is moving us towards union, towards harmony, towards peace. You know, often these words are used along with that idea of like ultimate truth or God. Those in a, in a sense embody that inherent truth. And the things that don't, in an ultimate sense, they're they're not true. They still exist. You know, that that that's the that's where like a lot of this is also a cosmo vision and it's a word that i think a lot of us don't really think much of it kind of like you were mentioning we if most of us hear that word cosmo vision they would picture like primitive people in the jungle and oh well they have a cosmo vision but i just see the world as it really is you know i'm science-based or i i know these things as fact but everyone has a cosmo vision and it can be really difficult, very difficult to see outside that cosmovision. And so even like that tale of, of you know, like I'll often use this example, like in English, we use these words, like we'll tell a kid, ah, you're just dreaming. Like, that, like hey, I want to be an astronaut. No, no, you're just dreaming. That's never going to happen. Like we use that word as if it's not real. But again, that comes from our cosmovision. From a from a different cosmovision, they would consider the dream space real, and again, maybe even more real. And even from a very logical point of view, whoever Jason is, me sitting here talking to to Mike, there's some awareness. I can look and I can say, "This is my body. This is my hand," but it's still me, whatever that is, saying this is mine. There's some awareness that's able to look around and differentiate myself. In that dream space, it's exactly the same. 
I may be able to see my body. I may not be my body. I may be a woman. I may be a bird soaring over and, and looking at the canopy. I may be a child. I may be an old person. I may be floating through space. But the me that's doing that is the same me that's here. Like nothing has changed. And just because maybe someone else isn't seeing the same thing in that moment, you know, in this reality, like I'm looking at this computer and you're looking at the computer and we can say, okay, well, that's a computer because we both see it. But when I'm dreaming, I'm seeing something and maybe no one else is, but even that's a cosmovision. Mm -hmm. Because we often think our dreams are isolated. And again, from a shamanic point of view, and people have experienced this in, in ayahuasca ceremonies or other plant medicine ceremonies, that they also have a connection in that space to other people. Other people may relay the same experience. A big part of shamanic work is working in that space. And that, I mean, this may sound crazy to people, but then it actually affects what we would call reality, much like that, that Bora Witoto creation myth, that, that by affecting it in that level, that in this reality, it's also affected, that that level, if anything, even precedes this reality. So I think, you know, going back to that idea of truth, in a way, you can never really answer that. Like, yes, mm -hmm. if, if we say this is true, can the opposite also be true? Almost likely, yes, because there's always this duality. But I think when people are talking about something like truth or God, they're, they're talking about something primordial, something that unifies, something that's beyond duality, which we can say that that is truth and that there's nothing outside of that. There's no opposite of that. There's no, there's no, it's not true because it's so true that it encompasses everything and it's life giving which again may sound like a silly thing, but it's no coincidence oh, that, that, yeah. that, that yeah. In, in all religions and all spiritual traditions, there's a creation myth. <laughs> you know, the yeah. origin is creation. It's life giving, it's birthing, you know, that the, the essence of life is to create. Uh, and we all have that creative power within us. Well, most of us. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, you know, that idea of truth, I think, is something real. Um, and, and that's where I think this idea of gnosis is important. You know, I mean, even, even the societies that like you and I are coming from, like often they're traced back to Greek civilization, these ideas of democracy and republics and uh, morality and um, all down to like exercise, holistic points of view, uh, liberal arts education, governance. But those guys had an idea of gnosis. They had an idea of truth. And they were also almost assuredly going in for very specific times, sacrificing, going into isolation, working in ceremony, and having these revelatory experiences, which they said pointed them to truth. And even like the founding fathers of, of our country, they would say things like nature is truth. You find truth by observing nature. Like by observing nature, you're able to see that which is real. 
And because also na nature is creative, it's constantly regenerating. It's, it's that creative force and you can see it in everything. Like if you go in a forest, you can, especially in the Amazon, I mean, you can almost literally see plants growing. They're growing so fast. Right. It's that creative energy that's, that's, that's fulfilling itself like incessantly, constantly over and over. And we don't, it's very rare that we would really experience that like in its full force because it's, it's overwhelming. I mean, even you look at the stars and it's, it's, it's almost mind boggling, but even, even if you're sitting in a forest, I mean, if you really think about the energy that that creative force that's flowing through everything, if you really go deeply into that, it's, it's almost too much, but that plant medicine experience can induce that. And when mm -hmm. one really begins to see that, that's part of where that ego death experience comes. It's also where that kind of humility become begins to come in is this creative force can be tapped into. And it's so overwhelming, so awe inspiring, so beyond our wildest imagination that we just have to sit there in awe. And I think that's what yeah. people are referring to as truth because what there's no, there's nothing that's even minuscule. I don't know if that's a word comparative to that. It's so all-encompassing, so overwhelming that everything fades into that. Everything dissolves into that. And mm. all we can say about it is some word like, well, that's God. <laughs> that's truth. Right. That's the right. light. Because what else can we do? That's yeah, yeah, and there's also the destruction in mm -hmm. the in nature, which is part of it. Just like you're saying, with like, it's not all good. There's also that other aspect there mm -hmm. as well, which is the the paradoxical nature. Because I think that in that fully encompassed together with what we would call good and bad together is sort of a version. Like maybe that is true. Like that's true. That's ultimate. Mm -hmm. That creative, destructive, chaotic, organized you know, beautiful harmony of, of nature, which we are, that's the magnitude that you're talking. I've experienced It's so profound. It's like disgusting and, and gross and vile and grotesque and destructive. And then also mm -hmm. beautiful and magnificent and radiant and joyful and exuberant all together mm -hmm. in one. And that does seem like a difficult concept for most people to uh, except because I think, I, like you were saying before, I can't do it with words. I think that's something that needs to be felt and experienced, right? Yeah. The, the Tao Te Ching tries to do it. They say the, 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 the Tao which can be spoken of is not the true Tao. Right, right. And this idea that, that from the Tao emerged the one, which is even pointing to this idea that even when we say something is one, we're already, it's not true anymore. You know, mm. it's already, mm. it's, it's one layer removed. But so then, then from the one came the two, came the duality. Then they would say from the two came the three, which is the Trinity. And then from the three, they would say came the 10,000 things, which is an ancient, um, an ancient word for like everything. Um, 
On a side note, a really fascinating guy, his name is Daniel Tammet. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He wrote a book called Born in a mm. Blue Day. He has, uh, I think, Asperger's syndrome. But he's a really fascinating mm. guy. Um, and he has uh, this thing called synesthesia. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he things have a very like felt sense, like an emotional quality, a certain landscape, a certain color, a texture. And he became famous because he could do all of these like crazy mathematical computations. But he's also really fascinating because he kind of trained himself to be what we would call socially normal. A lot of people who have these conditions I don't know if it's correct to say that they're socially not normal or were <laughs> socially not normal, but there's a difficulty in being able to communicate in a way that we both can connect on. But he kind of trained himself to be able to 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 speak and be around what we would maybe consider like normal social behavior. And so he's able to explain himself. And one thing I found really fascinating with him is through doing these in incredibly complex mathematical computations, for him, every number has a certain shape, a color, a texture, an emotional field, a landscape. And so when he's doing these computations, he just sees like this emotional color textured landscape. And that's how he just like reels off these numbers and they just kind of come together. But it was fascinating because for him, every number is unique, unique like color, shape, feel, everything from one until 10,000. And then after that, the cycle repeats itself for him, which mm. I, I found mm. fascinating. Um, wow. But yeah, you know, that kind of that, as you were saying, it's, it's hard to put in words. People try to, you know, I think like the Tao that that example works that idea of the trinity you see that in christianity you see it in hinduism the the brahman is is the the creative the the god i guess you could call that which encompasses everything so not just the creative but mm -hmm. that which encompasses everything and then the creative force is uh, brahma this the life sustaining force is vishnu and the destructive mm -hmm. force is shiva so I think they're yeah. also putting it in a beautiful archetypal way of, yes, like those are the, in the terms of the Trinity, that's how you can break down the, the oneness into three different forces. You have the creative force, you have the force that sustains, and you have the destructive force. And the, all three of those are essential for duality, which are essential for the one. So creation can't exist without destruction. So I think sometimes when we're talking about the creative force, that 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 entails that destructive force because from a dual dualistic point of view, you can't have creation without destruction. Those two, they're they're synonymous with each other. In order to create something, also has to die. That's the the transference of energy. That kind of physics principle that we all learn in school that energy can't be created or destroyed; it's only transformed. So the the creative destructive aspect of that is that transformation of energy. So yeah, I mean the the destructive force is is crucial. That's even in the in the dualistic mm. point of view, that's the masculine and the feminine. The feminine is the creative life force, that which gives birth. The masculine is that which takes life, that's that which destroys. 
And mm. but the creative force can't exist without the destructive force. The destructive force can't exist without the creative force. And destroying yeah, it, destroying is very it, powerful. Like it's something we we also forget about. Like uh, right, the, right. Uh, even in plant medicine work, we often talk about like removing these layers. Like rather than like gaining something, we're we're removing something. That's the destructive force. Like we're 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 letting these things go. We're removing ourselves of them. The the, the lifting of the veil. You know, there's a destructive force quality of that. We're taking the veil off. We're we're letting it go. And through the destructive, the creative force is born. Now I can truly see. Now I see life in its creation. And so, yeah, all of these things have a, a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm noticing also the parallel between, you know, the, what you were describing before as the dreaming state in the, in the shamanic Shapibo way and also ne- um, with uh, Vishnu and, 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 and Brahma. Isn't it like he dreams the dream into existence mm-hmm. in the universe and, right? It's, so there, there's, there's all that too. And then I was thinking of also, I forget what it was, it was like Arjuna and Krishna arguing about time and love and how love is beyond time's reach. So mm-hmm. with the apocalypse is the lifting of the veil, the end of time, maybe it's, and it's, it's a step into the, the timelessness of, of love, yeah. which I would bucket love, freedom, love and freedom, I think are, you know, very similar. Right. I, I think like in a, in a way that's this like over expanding liberated feeling. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can go, you know, we can obviously draw distinctions, but there's something true and good and life-giving. And that's what I love. I love that you brought that onto the show today because that just really resonates with me. If it's true and good and life-giving, that's that's where we want to be, be heading to. Yeah. And, and that's, um, that's like a, you know, on, a, on an emotional level, like if you look, if you look, because we were talking about fear, the, the opposite of that. Um, is usually considered excitement. It's the same emotion. It's just fear is usually looking at the future and labeling it as bad. Like I often use the example of, of like two people going up a roller coaster and it's like, ch- 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 ch. they're starting to get closer to the top. They're about to go over. The guy in the left, he's thinking about the future. He's thinking about when they go over that that final you know, peak and it's about to go crazy, you know, down this huge thing. He's thinking, oh my God, like, no, please stop. It's going to be horrible. I'm going to vomit. I'm going to die. It's fear because he's thinking about the future and he's labeling it as bad, as, as an aversion. That's the, the Buddhist ah, idea. Yeah. There's an aversion to it. Right. The guy in the right, the same thing is happening. They're going up, they get to that, that peak and he's thinking, this is going to be amazing. I've never been on a roller coaster this fast. It's going to be the best thing ever. I can tell all my friends and da da da. Wow, that the force going down. It's going to be. It's going to be amazing. It's this, he's feeling the same emotions. Like if you look at them physiologically, probably their hearts are racing. They're they're getting sweaty. They're like their body is preparing for it. The adrenaline's going. But the guy in the right, he's looking at the future and labeling it as good. In, in Buddhist terms, he's craving it. <laughs> so there's excitement. And so it's the same thing, but one is fear and one is excitement. But as you said, I think in, in, in a more spiritual point of view, 
the opposite of fear is love. And that because fear, again, is operating from that place of it's not life-giving, it's separating, it's dividing us. Again, you think about the pandemic. Right. The antidote right. to that fear is love. You know, can my yeah. actions reach out in love? Can I bring people together? If I'm a mother and my kid is sick, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, if I got sick, my mother gave me chicken soup. She put like a, a cold towel on my forehead. She, she took care of me. That's coming from a place of love rather than looking at my kid as sick and being like, oh my God, he's, he, he has the virus. He's, he's going to get me sick. He's going to kill everyone. No, like, you know, and that love transforms. It transmutes. It's what heals the world. And, and the fear is ultimately what, what takes us out of that state you know, that natural mm. state. And, and that's why I think, as you said, like love is also related to this idea of freedom, of truth, like with a capital T, you know, it's that which is life-giving. It's that which is true. It's that which nurtures us. It's that which feeds us. It's that which gives us energy. It's that which inspires, you know, inspire. It means to be filled with spirit, to be filled with life. You know, when we, when we're deceased, when when we we expire, <laughs> the, yeah. the the spirit is 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 it, it leaves our body. So yeah, that that principle of love is huge. And again, that's one of those tricky things where like a lot of a lot of people in in these lines of work, they love to speak about love, <laughs> right? But how right. aligned are their actions to actually loving? I mean. You know, I, I got COVID pretty early on in the pandemic and uh yeah, and I same. was I was pretty shocked at the response of of people who were considered plant doctors, like they didn't want to be near me. And uh, you know, I'm I'm not an angel or a saint, but if I call myself a doctor, then my responsibility is to go into sickness to help people. You know, someone comes to me and they say, I'm sick. I don't go, oh, no, like, stay back, stay away from me. It's, no, how can I help you? That's yeah. what a doctor does. And even more than a doctor, right. that's, what, that's, what a, that's what a human being does. That's what someone who's filled with spirit does, is they reach out in right. love to those around us. It's a beautiful Native American prayer. And it, it, one, of the, one of the lines in that is, is, is reach out. Uh, it says, be strengthened by the love within reach out in love to those around us for each day is a gift given but once and so you know who do we want to be because this may be our last day do we want to live in that state of fear and isolate from others label others be afraid of others or do we want to reach out in love to those around us because this may be our last day so how right. do how do we want to live our life from a place of love or from a place of fear Mm, yeah, do we truly want to put it all out there and go give everything that we have and show everything that we are and live, you know, to the to the fullest, whatever that means to each person? Or do we just want to survive and get by and make it until the end, which doesn't make sense to me? Yeah. Because as you said, the end could be any time. Anytime. And that's, that's, and that's, one of the, whole... that's one of the things, you know, uh, I think that I really saw with the pandemic too is, 
you know, and it's not to say that we shouldn't do anything or we shouldn't take precautions. I mean, for sure. sure. Like that, that's why, that's why we have a house, you know, that's why we build walls around us so that we're somehow protected <laughs> from the elements. You know, it's not just like, yeah. well, I'm just, whatever happens, you know, whatever, I'm not going to do anything. No, like yeah. when you operate from a place of love, you can still do things. You can build a house, you can protect your family. Um, but to what degree, like even this idea of isolating ourselves, like wearing masks, uh, being afraid of people, like, is that life-giving? You know, maybe you can argue, you know, I don't know, again, this is individual, maybe you can argue and somehow it is, but, you know, to me, it very much seems like coming from this place of fear, it's ultimately not life-giving. Like, if we're, if we're so afraid of death that we're literally stopping life, we're stopping life in order to avoid death. And that, that's only going to lead to more death, to more fear, yeah. to can more despair. It, can you say that again? <laughs> say, th th this this say idea that, that try, you know, by trying to avoid death, we're stopping life. Yeah. Because we're so afraid of what death may be that we want to retreat from life. We, we want to put up all of these artificial walls, these artificial boundaries, these, these rules and regulations that keep us seemingly safe, but it's also keeping us from life because we are human beings. You know, we're, we are individuals, but we don't exist in a void. Like we need touch. We need humanity. We need to see people smile. We need to hug people. Uh, we need to embrace people. We need to give each other a pat on the back. We need to talk to people. Uh, we need to have that interaction. Like we're not, we're not hermits. <laughs> and, yeah. and if we don't, if we don't embody what it means to be a human, then you could make the, the case that we're already dead. So like, what, what are we, what are we, what are we avoiding? And that, mm. you know, to, I think as anyone who's had any sort of addiction or, or problem or suffering, like often a huge part of that is it's an avoidance of life. It's an avoidance of like truly going in and feeling all that life has to give. And it, so we do things, we isolate ourselves, we take drugs, we, we do we watch Netflix all day, we watch porn, we eat tons of food. But in that there's, there's like a fundamental thing where we're avoiding life, we're, we're, we're cutting ourselves off from that life giving energy. And ultimately, that only leads to, to, to our demise. And if it's leading to our demise, it's leading to the demise as a whole too, because we're we're an integral right. part of this world. Wow, well said, Jason. Very well said. So you're in the middle of a dieta. I am. I am. Yeah, more towards the beginning, but yeah, in the midst of one. <laughs> okay, yourself or facilitating? Facilitating one. Yeah, I've I, I do a lot of work right. with a, a friend and colleague of mine. Her name is Marav. So. Yeah, we're here in the valley running a diet. It's uh, about about one month, and um, 
yeah, it's that's that's a lot of the work I do now. So when we met, we I was facilitating uh, ayahuasca ceremonies at the Temple of the Way of Light. Um, I'm I'm still there, but on a more more part-time basis and a lot was because of the pandemic too it, it really shifted things and and also i think just a point in my life like wanting to be a bit more rooted and kind of uh focusing on some different things but uh yeah a big part of part of my work now is is, is giving dietas like working working with different plants especially with tobacco and uh kind of sharing and in what in a way I was kind of gifted, like an experience of, of being able to share that. So. Mm, yeah. Cool. Um, I noticed that you have one coming up, um, in a couple months, right? Like, do you have, yeah. what is it? In, Sorry. Uh, it was, uh, in May yeah, tobacco in, Ireland. in Ireland. Yeah. 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 That great. should be great. Uh, Unfortunately, and if, I, I think if, it's sold, if, if anyone out, is, right? <laughs> if anyone's listening, yeah, we we sold out crazy fast. We sold out in like I don't know three or four days. So uh, I feel super fortunate for that. Um, but yeah, if anyone is interested, um, I think after Ireland, we're doing a bit of a, a world tour. Um, we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm already feeling I, I kind of like being in one spot more, but also with the way the world is going, uh, it's getting difficult for people to kind of travel and move. So yeah, we're, we're in Ireland in May and then, uh, Marav, who I work with, she's from Israel. So we're going to be in Israel the next month in June. And then we go back to New York in July. Um, and I, I believe there are still availability for the, the Israel and, and New York retreats. Great. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, who would you say should, uh, should attend if, if anyone out there is listening is curious, what uh what kind of person are you uh most excited about having be a part of this journey that you're offering the people we usually work with are people who have experienced plant medicine in some regards maybe they've they've worked with ayahuasca or they've done an ayahuasca workshop or they've worked with psilocybin and um or even people who just feel some sort of connection to plants um, often there's some kind of inner knowing that they'd like to go deeper into that work. And so the, the ability to, to do a dieta, I think really gives someone that ability to, to experience these plants in a different way and to experience oneself in a different way. Um, a lot of the work we do works in that dream space and that kind of shamanic level of cleaning and clearing and realigning and, and, looking at things in a new way. I think tobacco is really, really good medicine in that way. And I, you know, it's interesting because in the beginning we were talking about how we were both kind of surprised that so many people in this plant medicine community seem to be following these kind of paradoxical viewpoints of being for cognitive liberty or freedom of choice to work with plants. But in another regard, not for that at all. Um, and something I actually came to see, and I, I've also had to question myself, like, is this just my own bias? Or, But I think it's something more than that, which is, um, you mentioned Amika, who I think is an amazing human being, an amazing teacher. I've, I've sat with him yeah. a number of times now. And, and uh, he has this beautiful story about how there was this, this like deep suffering of humanity and 
And from that suffering, like that suffering, that call for help was heard uh, from these beings in the star system Sirius, which is very fascinating because all over the world, a lot of people say like this kind of more advanced intelligence or spirits came from Sirius. So mm -hmm. take from that what, what you will, but um, that they heard the calling and they, they ended up uh, transcending the 12 dimensions of time and space. And they showed up on the earth in this primordial anaconda canoe. And they brought with them all of these different medicines to help humanity, to help humanity remember who they were, where they came from. And th there was kind of an order in this canoe. And, and the, the first plant was actually tobacco. And tobacco, you can consume different ways. You can drink it. You can take it as a paste. You can, as you were saying, the, the, the rape and Mika's tradition, the tubu, they call it murundi. Um, there's different ways you can apply it. So that was the first plant along with coca. And, and, and these plants were the base and, and they were the plants that, that also pointed towards truth. And, and again, allowing you to see things how they actually are bringing, bringing integrity to the word and bringing sweetness. The coca brings sweetness to the word the, the tobacco brings integrity to the word. And then the, the other plants uh, kind of moving down the canoe, uh, hopefully I'll get this right. But then I think there was these plants and they, they were very much like plants of the earth, plants of the heart, which are uh, peyote and wachuma or San Pedro. So they begin to open us to this world, like to really see this world. Um, and then uh, there's a plant that they call borrachera or toe, um, which kind of teaches one to be a doctor, but it's also a, it's a very powerful plant, but one you have to work with a lot of caution because it's very, very strong. And if it's not worked with correctly, you can end up in a bad way. And then the final plants, uh, he would call the, the queens of knowledge. And uh, he calls it Jemaru, which is actually marijuana. Um, um, Yopo, which is kind of similar to ayahuasca. It's, it's also DMT, but it's, uh, it's inhaled and ayahuasca. And I think they would also put iboga in that category. And those are the plants of knowledge. Like they allow us to transcend the 12 dimensions. They, they, they bring this like very high knowledge, but something I began to see. And again, I don't know that this is inherently true, but it, it, it's something I, I began to sit with a lot. And, and it, it seemed to resonate that, I think a lot of the people who maybe haven't been able to stand strong to those principles, in a way they become a bit lost in the mediation of the, the plants of knowledge. Like the knowledge is there, they've experienced it, but it hasn't become embodied. It hasn't become of this earth. And, and so like in shamanic terms, they would say one is lost in the mediation, one is lost in the dizziness but they haven't been able to take that knowledge from above and bring it to, to below. That, that's kind of the, the esoteric principle of as above, so below. That's kind of what we were talking about. Like you understand it at this level, this more mental level, but it's not embodied. It hasn't, we haven't taken it from there and embodied it into this earth. And I think tobacco is a really powerful plant and probably why it was the first one in the canoe, because if you have that, then you're better able to integrate this knowledge and really bring it into this existence. Similar to Wachuma or peyote, it's like it's becoming more embodied in this world. Um, and I think 
you know, ayahuasca is amazing. Uh, you know, I would, I would recommend it to anyone who feels that call. Um, but also to realize that, that all plants have their medicine and all plants have their archetypes and all plants have their place. And sometimes we need one plant more than another, much like medicine, like we were talking about. It's, there's not necessarily a one medicine that's good for us all the time in every single circumstance. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was something I was thinking about of a, a lot of the, the people that, that I kind of saw that maybe had those conflicting principles. They tended to be working with these plants that were more in that, that the Queens of knowledge realm, but that it, maybe what they were lacking was these plants in the the first part of the canoe that allowed them to really see things as they actually are and stand in that principle, stand in the word, uh, have integrity in the word, have sweetness to the word. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Love that story. Beautifully said and uh, what it represents. Yeah. And I'm just thinking what comes to mind is if you're in a canoe and you only have mm. one section filled out, like you're going to be yeah. top, you know, heavy. You're going to be balanced. You're going to be unbalanced. The top of the canoe is going to go up. You're going to sink in the water. Yeah. So it's very important. Really well said. Thank you for bringing that uh, Amika um, story into into this and what it represents. And I think that that is, yeah, that's powerful. So yeah, I, I never um, thought about that. That's a great analogy. So thank you for for bringing that up. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, you're doing good work, my friend. Um, I think, you know, that, that the, 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 the recognition that, that there's more to this plant path, that it's not just about the knowing, but it's about the gnosis and the embodiment and really going on that deep journey into that dream space. How do you want to create? Where do you create from? What you create from is what you create. Um, and you're, yeah, you're a guy I consider with deep integrity and principle and it, and it shows, you know, I think that it's not something that you have to say it's uh, by in your presence, uh, being in ceremony with you a couple times and just the way you carry yourself and facilitate. It's, uh, it, it, it's just a known felt thing that you get from somebody who is embodied. So yeah, good stuff, man. Oh, thank you, brother. You're, you're doing it. <laughs> Yeah, you're welcome. What just uh we'll, we'll we'll end here. I mean, what is the most fulfilling and nourishing, satisfying aspect of doing this this work for you? It's interesting because uh, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people approach this work from this altruistic point of view. Like, ah, you know, I want to help people and I want to save the world. And for me, it didn't start that way at all. It, it started kind of. I guess we could call it a more selfish place, but as we were talking about it, uh, like I had questions that I wanted to answer myself. I had issues that I wanted to deal with. And so it really, it was really for me, it was a path of self-discovery of self-knowledge of curiosity. And uh, I, I often use like this example of, of martial arts because I, I, I love jujitsu and it's, it's taught me so much, but I kind of see it as a similar thing. Like when I started jujitsu and, and any, any good jujitsu teacher who I've, I've ever worked with, none of them started like, I want to be a jujitsu teacher. <laughs> uh, it always started like, I want to get really good at jujitsu. And then as you start to get good, it just happens where someone sees that and they're like, Hey man, like 
I'm struggling with this move. Could you, I see you do it really well. Could you help me with that? And it's like, yeah, sure. Like, this is how I do it. This is what I know. Hopefully it works. Um, and if it doesn't, we can work on it. Uh, you know, that's, that's an amazing thing about teaching too, is you get to see things from another angle. There's more clarity. I realize, oh, he, he's doing what I taught him, but it's not working. So maybe I'm not doing something right. So I have to then refix my game and hone. And, and in that way, things just really came organically. So, um, I think often when people ask that question, they're expecting me to say like, oh, you know, I love seeing these people like grow. And, and I do, it, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Um, but I think for me, there's, there's even something deeper than that, which is there's something that drew me to this work that I'm still on my own journey. And, uh, and if I'm able to help people, you know, I, I, I do what I can. And, uh, but it's, for me, it's always fascinating working with people and, and seeing the, 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 the transformation they go through. And I, I think that's something you probably saw at the temple too, is you do a workshop and people come in in a certain way and they leave and, and they're very different. And it's, mm-hmm. it's also something that, that like anything, the more we do something, we become a bit desensitized to it, but you know, sometimes when I really just sit back and I'm looking at a group of people or an individual and there's, there's, there's just this sense of like, awe. um, I think a deep gratitude for these traditions and, and where they came from and the knowledge that's been kept and passed down and that's still given, which is not the most obvious thing. Like there's a lot of reasons why it may not be given for all sorts of past reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. but in a way, just a real gift. And, and I think for me, something that I find very fascinating and that always interests me is, is this idea of who we are and where we come from. And, and I think these plants have an amazing ability to help us on that path. And, 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 it's also why I'm so fascinated. And I think, you know, probably you are too. I think we talked about this, you know, people like Graham Hancock and Ramla Carlson and, and, yeah. and ever since I was a kid, just, I was pretty fortunate to be able to travel and going to these different countries, like, like going to Peru and you see these massive boulders and just fitting together perfectly. But then above those are some that aren't quite as nice. And then above those are like some that don't really fit together at all. And they're much smaller. And so ever since uh, I was a kid, I, I remembered like, it seems like there's a story that we haven't been told. And it seems like there was this knowledge that was present and embodied um, and that we we lost it somehow, whether it was a cataclysmic event, but and yet these traces remained and they remained in these traditions that work with these plants. You see it in the Vedas, like you read the Vedas, which is the oldest knowledge we have. And, and in the Vedas, they say, well, <laughs> all of this knowledge was given to us by the ancient ones. It's like, what? Mm. <laughs> so there, there's people even before <laughs> yeah. you who even knew more who passed this on. And so yeah. there's, for me, there's something very magical about this. And it's certainly not that I'm walking around all day in awe. I mean, you know, most, most of my life is very rational and just doing things, but, but there are certainly times where I tap into that awe and it's, uh, 
it's it's incredible. And I think that to answer your question is probably like what inspires me is when I when I kind of begin to connect the dots and 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 begin to see or understand something. And then it's all shattered. And then I, you know, <laughs> trying to trying to understand it again on a deeper level. And it's 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 uh, like some people also in like shamanic terms they would say that that's the that's the great game of life is uh, is, mm-hmm. is somehow thinking we know and then realizing we know nothing and then seeing something that's just you know so beautiful and so profound and and just constantly in that game in that dance. So yeah, yeah. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, I'm not going to get a typical answer from you. Come on, I knew that. But that's that's pu- that's perfect. That's a beautiful answer. It's a true answer. It's a real one and it's it's great. You're you're truly unique and a uh, special special person. Um because of you and just living this journey and living this path. And if people want help, they come and you're welcome to give them that. And we're all in it together. In, in a sense. And uh, I love that. Yeah. Like Ramdas walking each other home. So yeah. cool. Thanks for, thanks for taking on that role and, and being that, you know, that person and carrying on these traditions and this wisdom. It's uh, it's essential, especially in our time. Now we don't let this stuff die that we, that we keep it, keep it going. Um, yeah. Go listen to the universe within podcast because Jason's doing something that nobody else is doing as far as I'm concerned, uh, which is bringing on, uh, these 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 teachers, these maestros, these these uh, these healers, to speak directly. And I believe that your last episode was with one of your um, main teachers, Ernesto, before mm-hmm. Damian. You had on who I know quite well. So yeah, um, a really amazing job that you're doing here with the podcast and bringing these these healers uh, on to speak in their own words and and speaking with them. It's a truly unique thing. I don't, I don't, I don't see anybody else doing that. So uh, well done. Go check out the Universe Within podcast and uh, nicotinorustica.org as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a link to my website. It, it, it's got the work we're doing and any, any upcoming retreats we're, we're doing. You can find it all there. Cool. And, and likewise, brother, awesome. you know, we, well, we were talking about Amika and it's, uh, it's something that really has really stuck with me. And, and it's one of the other legends or tales that he speaks of and kind of similar. That's why I really like Amika because he's also, there's, there's not a lot of like fluffy stuff. And there was this, this tale of, uh, that, that, that his people, the Tubu, that their grandfathers, they, they use the word abuelo, which translates to, to grandfathers, but it's grandparents. So the, the men and women, but, but that their ancestors had this tale that, that their time was coming to an end, that, that that way of being was coming to an end and that this time we're coming into was going to be the, the age of, as he calls it, the Diro Amasa, which is the children of the new dawn. And they're the people who are able to bridge the medicines of the four directions, which I think is super important. It's to realize that all the directions have medicine, the north, the west, the east, the south. They all have their medicine. They're all wisdom keepers. They all have uh, a unique way of, of working with medicine and, and bridging the medicine of the four directions to, to create a new Maloka. And in the Amazon, a Maloka... It's, it's the communal house, but it also represents the world and it represents the universe. So these Diro Amasa, they're bridging the medicines of the four direction to create a new earth. And, uh, 
and uh, I'm, something about that story really inspires me. And 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 I consider you one of the dear Amasan. It's the you know the people because you know what you're doing is also medicine. And and you know we all have these very compartmentalized view of what medicine is. But medicine is that which heals, which means to bring into wholeness. And uh, the power of the word is extremely important. For Amika, that's, that's, a, that's a huge part of their tradition is the power of word, you know, sharing, uh, bridging ideas, talking about these things, uh, investigating, you know, uh, separating the chafe, finding what's truth uh, and, and spreading that. And um you know, that was also part of the idea of the podcast I did. And, and I think you're doing that wonderfully, you know, bringing on all sorts of different people talking about these ideas that are super important, like liberty, freedom, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, they're no small topics and, and they are life and death. And, and sometimes I, I think we've been living in a time that that's been kind of complacent. It's been quite easy in a way, but these things are always there and they always resurface. And, and it takes people who are strong, who stand in principle, who are willing to speak up. Uh, and, and that's who changes the world. And it, it's no small sit thing. So uh, it's a pleasure, brother. Thank you very much. I, I think this is the, the third time I've been on now. So it's the, the, yeah, the podcast yeah. I've been on the most times. So thank you for having me on. And yeah, man, I, I always I always really appreciate talking to you and catching up. But, you know, as we said, I, I think of you as a brother and in this reality and also in, in all realities and in, in this quest that we're all on. So uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. I, uh, I saw you had Charles Eisenstein on the other day. That guy's, he's amazing. He's another one of these guys who I think yeah. is really, you know, a bridge keeper, someone who's trying to, to speak truth. And the, the more these voices get out there, the better. And, and, you know, even though there is a lot of darkness in the world, I see a lot of signs for hope and, and, uh, you know, sure. you giving voice to yourself, to these people, that's what it's about because we do all have fear and, and the more opportunity we have to hear other points of view, the more opportunity we have to stand with other people who are taking a stand, it makes that journey, uh, not easy, but definitely easier. And the more people that do it, the more people we can bring in, uh, to, to, to truly create a new earth. So keep it up, my friend. Yeah, you as well. Likewise, I feel the same. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we're just building a new Maloka together. So you know, let's make it. Let's make it fun. Let's make it enjoyable. And let's just keep keep focused on the project and the task at hand. And I think it's going to be coming along pretty nicely. And if not, well, see you in the next incarnation. I guess. <laughs> yeah, sounds good, brother. Whenever you whenever you uh, you 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 publish this, let me know, and I'll I'll do my best to share it and and. And yeah, we just keep going. In, in Spanish, just keep going. In Spanish, they, they say poco a poco, paso a paso, or poco a poco, baso a baso. Little by little, step by step, or little by little, glass by glass, we, we, we keep going forward. Yeah, that's all there is to do. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> keep, keep, putting the, keep putting the good life-giving energy out there, my friend. Yeah. Well, likewise, brother. It's, it's been a pleasure. And uh, great catching up with you, man. Good to see you. Looks like your studio is coming along too. You got some insulation in there. Yeah. You got a nice bookshelf going. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're going to have a little chat off air. And to all of you listening, thank you. And until next time, much love. Peace. 
All right, everybody, that's it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mike. Uh, I really enjoyed sitting with him. Uh, I think he led it really well, and we got into some really, I think, deep and important topics. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, as always, if you're able to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me. Patreon is a really good way. For as little as a dollar a month, you can sign up. There's different tiers you can sign up for, and those tiers give you different things back, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As, um, um, so that's a really big help to all the people who have done that. Thank you very much. One of the reasons I like that is uh, I think it's very much built around this idea of Aini, this uh, Andean idea that, that's uh, a really fundamental part of their, uh, their cosmovision, which is this idea of reciprocity. So if you feel like you're gaining something from this podcast and you'd like to give back, that's a really big help to me. Uh, there's also the ability to direct donate via PayPal. I'll put a link to all of those in the show notes. Um, also with the YouTube channel, you can join the YouTube channel. It gives you a lot of the same perks as the Patreon page. And then if you're not able to do that, if you're listening on the YouTube version, hitting the subscribe button, turning on the notification bell, liking the videos, that's a really big help with the algorithms to get the show out to a bigger audience. And then with the audio version, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leaving a starred rating and a short review. And also with Spotify now, it gives you the ability to rate the show as well. So um, and then also, uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, really consider checking out Mike's work. Uh, he's got an amazing podcast. It's called Mike Adelic. Um, uh, I listened to one of his shows recently and it had, uh, Charles Eisenstein on, who's a really fascinating guy. So he's doing really great work over there. So if you like this conversation, consider checking out his work again, Mike Adelic, and you can find it on all of the major platforms. Uh, so I think that's it. Um, when this podcast is being released, uh, it'll probably be towards the end of April. Um, I'm shooting a number of these in advance because I'm actually heading off to do a dieta myself. So I'm going to be offline for a few weeks. Uh, so I'm not sure the order of the guests who are coming on after this. Um, but as always, I, I try and bring on some really fascinating people. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for the support. And I will see you all on the next episode. Mm -hmm.